<clears throat> Morning, church. In most of my college classes, on day one of those classes, the teacher would hand out a syllabus. If you're not familiar with what a syllabus is, let me give you a definition. A syllabus is a document that communicates information about a specific academic course or class and defines expectations and responsibilities. It is generally an overview or a summary of the curriculum or the class. So I even had one class that said it this way in the syllabus. If you want to make an A in this class, here are the requirements. If you want to make a B in this class, here are the requirements. Those were the only two choices. So if you wanted to make an A or a B, that was day one of the class. In day one of the class, they told you how to prepare for the class. In day one of the class, they told you, if, if you want to make it to the end, here are the expectations, here's what you need to do. We're in a study of First and Second Thessalonians, and we are preparing for the second coming. And in this syllabus, Paul tells us how to prepare for the end. Paul tells us what's coming, here's the curriculum, here's how you need to live, and knowing that Jesus is coming again, here is the material, here's the syllabus. So 1 Thessalonians is just five short chapters, we're in chapter 4, just 89 verses, and at the end, close to the end of every chapter, he mentions that Jesus is coming again. He mentions the second coming of Jesus. How should we live? What should we do? What expectations does God have from us? Is there a syllabus from God? And Paul says, yep, there sure is. There is a syllabus. And that's what we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians. Here's how he starts chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. That's the syllabus. We told you how to live. All right? As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now we've looked at that word live before. Paul likes that word live. It's used in other places in the New Testament. So let me just, we're going to review real quick so you get an understanding of this word live. We instructed you how to live. Here's what it looks like in other texts. Paul says in Ephesians, live a life. That's one word. Live worthy of the calling you've received. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 13, let us live decently like people who belong to the day. We should not have wild parties or be drunk. We should not be involved in sexual sin or any kind of immoral behavior. We should not cause arguments and trouble or be jealous. 1 John, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, same word here, yet walk, yet live in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Colossians, Paul says, You used to walk, you used to live in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. 
So be, be very careful then. Here's the word. How you live. How you walk. How you conduct your lives. Walk decently. Walk becomingly. The word in the New Testament means that it, it refers to the way believers behave or conduct their daily lives. So we used to walk this way. But as Christ followers, we now walk this way. We used to live this way when we followed the darkness. But as Christ followers, we now live a different way. Why are we called to live a different way? He tells us, in order to please God. In order to please God. Paul said, I'm giving you this syllabus. I'm giving you these instructions. This is how you need to live if you want to please God. So what does it look like? What does it look like since Jesus is coming again? What does it look like? How do we live to prepare for the second coming? Maybe we should ask ourselves. Maybe you do ask yourself. Is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Is the way I'm living pleasing to God? Are the activities I'm involved in pleasing to God? Are the people I'm running with pleasing to God? Here's what Paul says. For you know what instructions we gave you. It's a military term. You know what instructions, you know what charges, you know the command, you know the direction. When the commanding officer gives the instructions, when the commanding officer gives the charges, it is our responsibility to carry out those commands. It's not our responsibility to question. It's not our responsibility to think they're up for discussion. He says, these are the instructions, this is the command, and we're supposed to follow those. Why? Because you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is coming again, because Jesus is going to return, by His authority, Paul says, I'm going to tell you how to live. By the authority of Jesus, so that you'll know how to live. Again, God gives the instructions, God gives the orders, and we're called to live this way. So here's the course syllabus, 1 Thessalonians 4. Here's some instructions from the syllabus. For you know the instructions we gave you, it's God's will. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That word means set apart. You should be set apart. You should be distinct. It's God's desire to have a people who are set apart. Not just set apart, but set apart exclusively to live for Him. Here's how Peter says it. Your chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people belonging to God. We belong to God. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. It was God who chose us. It was God who set us apart. It's God who makes us a holy nation. And so we should live like people who belong to God. That's what it means to be sanctified. That's what it means to be set apart. And when we live that way, it pleases God. He goes on. He says, you know the instructions we gave you. It's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. God wants us to be set apart, and part of being set apart is our bodies are set apart for God. Your body is not yours to do whatever you want to do with. Your body belongs to God. Here's what Paul says in a couple of other passages. He says, you're bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. We're bought. The blood of Jesus paid for us. And so God owns our bodies. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So, are you doing that today? 
are you honoring God with your body? The command here is to live a life of purity. The command here is to stay clear of sexual immorality. Look at the original language here. It's God's will that you abstain from fornication. You abstain from pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. And we're supposed to abstain from. It's any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. Here's the New Century Version. God wants you to be holy and to stay away from sexual sins. Stay away from, abstain from, back away from, avoid those. Now, that's not what the world will tell you. The world will tell you to have sex with whoever, whenever. The world will tell you that just practice safe sex. The world will tell you to be discreet, but that's not what God says. God says, avoid sexual immorality. Now, you might be thinking, that's kind of hard to hear. Imagine if you were in the first century in a different culture. These original readers were living in a very immoral culture. And so a man might have a wife, and he might well have a mistress that his wife knew about, and he might have a slave or a concubine, and he might go visit a prostitute, and no one thought that was shameful or wrong until you were set apart, until you were called to be a Christ follower. You might think, well, it was no big deal before, but when we become Christians, when we become Christ followers, Paul says if you want to live a life that pleases God, we should avoid, we should abstain. So here's the deal. When we say yes to Christ, we start saying no to other things. Here's a way we read in Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Some might say, well, everybody else is doing it. Our standard is not everybody else. We are set apart. We're a chosen race. We belong to God. That's our standard. Here's what Paul says in Corinthians. The body's not meant for sexual immorality before the Lord. Can't be any clearer. It's not a gray area. There's really no way we should have any difficulty understanding. But just in case we don't understand, he continues in Thessalonians. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lusts like the heathen who do not know God. He says, when we gratify the sexual nature, we're living like we don't even know God. Paul says, that's how the heathen live. Everybody else might be doing it, but everybody else is not our standard. Our standard's not set by everybody else. Our standard's not set by the community. Our standard is set by Jesus Christ who died for us, who bought us, who shed His blood for us, and He calls us to live in that way. He says, avoid sexual immorality. Avoid pornography. Avoid having an affair. Avoid the sexual content on TV. Avoid the sexual content at movies. Whether you're single or married, avoid sexual immorality. Whether you're a new Christian or a young Christian or a seasoned Christian, avoid sexual immorality. Here's what he says to a very established church in Ephesians 5. Among you there must not be even a hint... Not even a hint of sexual immorality. This is improper for God's people. Listen, 
God is not prohibiting sex. God created sex. And God created sex for us to enjoy within the parameters of marriage. We are called to live holy lives within those parameters. Again, some might say, some Christians might say, you know, what's the big deal? What's wrong with fooling around a little bit? I mean, no harm done. What happens behind closed doors is really innocent. Listen, here's what's wrong with sexual immorality. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys children. It destroys people. You keep reading. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like those who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage, take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins. Maybe you're thinking, why is God so harsh about this? Why is God going to judge sexual sin so strongly? Paul continues in Corinthians. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. There's our word live. Therefore, I got the wrong verse. Sorry. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Here's Corinthians. I'm sorry. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. So here's what he's saying. When we become Christ followers, we belong to God. We were bought with a price, and as Christians, God lives in us. God dwells in us. God gives us His Spirit to live inside of us. So when you sin sexually, you're using God's body to sin. Since God lives inside of us, since the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, when we sin sexually, we are using God's house to sin. So he says, avoid sexual immorality and learn to control your body. Here's J.B. Phillips' translation. God's plan is to make you holy. And that entails, first of all, a clean break from sexual immorality. Many people don't want to make a clean break when it comes to sexual immorality. They want to live like it's spring break. and Do whatever they want. And sin any way they want. And have sex with whoever they want. And party all they want. And live as irresponsibly as they want. And have all the flings they want. And Paul said, no. No. That's not what pleases God. He's going to give us some more instructions in this syllabus. He goes on. In our syllabus, for you know the instructions we gave you. You've been taught by God to love each other. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to mind your own business. Make it your ambition to work with your hands. Make it your ambition. Exert yourself. Use the utmost effort. Strive eagerly. Make it your aim. Here's how it reads from the message. Stay calm. Mind your own business. Do your own job. You've heard all this from us before, but a reminder never hurts. We want you living in a way that will command the respect of outsiders, not lying around sponging off your friends. Why? Why are we called to live, with, live this way? 
Because it pleases God. It pleases God. Listen, when I was growing up, I knew what pleased my parents and I knew what displeased my parents. That doesn't mean I always did what pleased my parents, but I knew what pleased my parents. And Paul says, this is what pleases God. Living this way is what pleases God. So that syllabus I told you about at the beginning, the one you get at the beginning of class and day one of class, your final grade is, is based on your performance in that class. Listen, the, the, how we live is not based on our performance. It's not that way in following Jesus. It's not that way when it comes to the end. It's not that way when the second coming um, comes about. It's not about performance. It's about our preparation and preparing for the second coming. And in this syllabus, he says, you've got everything you need for preparing. Here's what Peter says. The day the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Everything we do, every way we live, every activity that we're involved in should remind us, should prepare us for the second coming. Everything we do should remind us, even when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So if I could have the people who are in charge of these tables to go ahead and head towards the tables as we prepare for communion... Everything we do should remind us of the second coming. Here's what Paul writes in Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And see, even the Lord's Supper is about the second coming of Jesus. When we partake of this bread and this cup, it reminds us of the Lord's death. It reminds us of His victory over death. It reminds us that He's coming again. Everything we do should remind us of the second coming. Let's pray.